Hey, Barbara. Just curious. Where do owners learn the real skills to make these projects go well? Curious Teams is a podcast for design, construction, and owner teams. Welcome to Curious Teams. I'm Fred Gutierrez. And I'm Barbara White Bryson. And we're here to make the design, construction, and owner environments a better place. All right. And today, we're talking about owners and specifically the skills owners need to run their projects well. We'll talk about the ones that we think are, are, are essential and oftentimes not, not really recognized as owners as their responsibility. Fred, you and I both have had experiences representing owners, and I think that we are very strongly opinionated regarding whether or not owners can make a difference as far as the success of a project. Yeah, we have strong feelings about this. <laughs> I think this is what brought us together. Like we've alluded to, it's it takes a good owner to have a good project. So we're going to talk about that today. What does it take to be a good owner? I have seen a couple of projects that have been successful despite the owner, but the owner has so much power, power in decision-making, power in paying, power in team culture, that they often don't even understand that they have. Yeah, there's all types of owners out there. You know, we've run into the professional owner, you know, we see those on mostly institutional and repeat project type situations where they've actually have the the time and the experience to to learn from past projects. But then we run into a lot of owners that this may be their first time um, doing a project, you know, in the commercial field, building a restaurant um, or, or a homeowner building, building a house. The same skills apply to mm -hmm. both an institutional owner and a first-time owner. And it's a little intimidating for the, for them to recognize, for those first-time owners, that their skills are really necessary. And it's challenging. I agree. I, I Yes, you're absolutely right. Serial owners uh, that or serial builders that are uh, building more than one speculative office building or institutional owners, they have the opportunity to build the tools necessary to create great teams. Uh, single uh, project owners don't have access to those tools necessarily, but they can certainly lean on professionals like you uh, to make sure that they are represented well and that they are encouraged to participate in the best way possible. Frankly, I've seen serial owners that just don't have a clue. Yeah, I like the way that you use the word possibility of learning those skills because sometimes they might just latch on to the wrong, the wrong skills that uh, may lead the projects astray, at least in our opinions. Yeah, I think that I've seen owners that believe that the power of being able to hire and fire for projects is something that is about them and not about the success of the team. Uh, and that gets to be very, very difficult. And you, we've also seen serial owners who don't really believe that they need to participate 
in the project in a positive way. They just hand it off and say, oh, right. good luck, guys. Right. Right. And when they do that, you know, we'll probably get to get into details on this. But when they do that, when an owner steps back, that that void has to be filled by someone. Can't be unfilled or else you have complete chaos. So oftentimes an architect will step up or a builder will step up. But in those situations, it creates uh, another complexity and another source of miscommunication and conflict that that isn't really respecting people's professional skills and their ability to uh, participate. That's exactly what happens when owners don't realize that being an owner, even though you're paying the bills, hopefully you're paying the bills, that being an owner means that you have very specific responsibilities in helping the team be successful. In fact, we made a list of six that we want to talk about today that any owners out there that want an easy checklist on how to be successful, how to support your teams, your project to success, should think about these six responsibilities in order to do a great job. I agree. These six traits or ideas, I don't think we're going to go in any particular order on them. But I think they're a fundamental good starting spot to help an owner participate in a very productive and useful way. So you want to just jump right into number one? Let's start with number one, which is exactly what you were talking about just a moment ago, Fred. And that is the number one responsibility of an owner is to be present and ask questions. Questions are so important, especially if you're a first-time owner. If this is your first project, go unafraid and make sure that you are helping to inform yourself about what's going on, what it's going to cost, what's included in this budget and not included in that budget. Asking questions is your best prescription to success, but also important to the team is being present. Yeah, asking questions is, you know, this this gets back to how we got to the name of Curious Teams. It's creating that that interest that you really want to participate in a conversation about what this can become. By asking questions, you're you're opening up a dialogue that you're willing to hear things and participate in this conversation. And the presence part is a recognition that these individuals, these prof- these professionals that you're that you're bringing on your team, and you really should bring them on with intention, and we'll talk about that a little later. They need to further define how they can participate and help your project. That takes a bit of time and dialogue to get to those rooted details. It also sets up a value system, not, I'm not talking about values right now. We are going to talk about that later, but it sets up a value system that clearly communicates to the team that this is important to you, that you care about the project. And I I don't, I don't care if it's your, your summer house or it's a place that's going to cure cancer. When the owner takes the time to be present, to ask questions, to be informed, to help guide the team, that sets up a priority that makes them understand how important this is to you. Yeah, I, 
I might add a little bit to this be present and ask questions. I think the other thing I'd add, add to this is consistency. That presence needs to be consistent and, and it needs to be timely. I think a respect for people's time is part of that presence. Showing up to meetings on time, not trying to you know, change the course of the project based on something that's not clearly identified and shared by the rest of the team. And that might just manifest in, you know, I can't make a meeting today because I have to do something that's more important. Try to schedule your time so that you can be present on a regular basis and consistently show up for your team so, so they can, they can work with you. It's, it sets a tone that's very, very helpful to the team. And it also makes the owner more confident when they do know what's going on and in building these relationships with the team. We're going to talk about values and goals in a little bit, but your presence helps create that relationship to your values and goals. Do you have any stories on, on, on presence and asking questions? When I was working at Rice University, we were working on a physics building and the laboratories within those physics buildings were very complex very specific. There wasn't anything about the physics labs that were going to be able to be a boilerplate. And so not only did our project meetings include the ownership team and facilities, but it also included the dean of the school for natural sciences and, and where the physics department lived but it also included the chair of the physics department. We also interviewed every single physics researcher that was going to be in the building so that we made sure that we understand what are their values, what are their very specific needs, how are they going to work in the future. But the presence of both the dean and the chair at every meeting communicated clearly the kind of care that was going to go into making decisions about this building. That was a terrific experience, by the way. And it turned out that because of what she learned within the project meeting, the dean was able to go for a national grant that helped fund the building overall. Sounds like a good way to start a project. <laughs> it was. It was a great way to start a pro project. What about number two? This is very deeply connected to being present, but an owner's responsibility really includes making timely and informed decisions. Right. Timely and informed decisions. That's a key one. Yeah, it is closely related to number one because you have to know what those decisions are really. And that's not easy. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of questions out there that are directly asked to you that you need to answer, but there's a lot of decisions that are inherent to just running a project that may not be directly asked of you. So that may be another, another discussion altogether. What are those un, unwritten questions that an owner should consider before even starting a project? But the, the idea of the importance of making decisions is a key habit that an owner needs to recognize that, that they, that, that allows people to move forward to, to progress in, in different ways. And they need to also, but, but they also just can't make flippant decisions. So that gets to the, the idea of informed decisions. 
they need to un- they need to share with the team why what are the parameters that will help them make a decision and really really demand is a little strong of a word but help the team understand that they need information to make decisions but they recognize that those decisions will be made when that information is provided agreed i think of decisions as the fuel that powers a project. Mm-hmm. And the primary source of that fuel is the owner. The owner is mm-hmm. is the one who has to make sure that the fuel is flowing constantly or else the entire machine stops. Uh, there's What was the Tom Cruise movie where they said, follow the money? In project world, it's not so much follow the money, mm-hmm. it's follow the decisions. Anytime you see a project slowing down, except for the supply chain problem that, that we're having today, but you can almost be assured that there's a problem in the decision-making process. You know, But it's not always easy for owners to set up an environment where making decisions is easy. I told you about the uh, mm-hmm. wonderful presence of the dean and chair for the physics department in, at Rice. I had another challenge when I was at the University of Miami as a university mm-hmm. architect where the downtown medical campus hadn't had a master plan in many years. So they really didn't have any tools to make decisions about what should be a priority, what should be built next, where it should be built. And so when I started drilling into why they did not have this tool, I found out that they had two problems. They had a leadership at the moment that didn't value that tool. In fact, I remember him saying, if you have a GD master plan, people are going to GD complain, which wasn't helpful. But the second problem that they had is getting everyone that had, that was a primary stakeholder in a room so the decisions around master planning could be made. The only time that we could get everybody that was critical, and they were mostly doctors, right, Mm -hmm. in the room was on Saturday mornings at about 7 o'clock, something like that. So every Saturday morning for almost four years, I was meeting with this team because it was the only time that we could get everybody together. So making sure that you are also helping set up an environment where you can get those decisions is part of the job of the owner. So let's jump into number three. Number three is express values as well as goals. Express values as well as goals. Um, well, I mean, I go back to this all the time. <laughs> and, you know, it, the way we've set this up, we say express values and those goals. You have to understand what your values are so that you can, you can get there. Um, I think oftentimes owners, and I'm not saying they don't have values, but they don't, they don't think about how they can manifest in, in a project. Um, and a lot of, a lot of, a lot, a lot of values can, and that's where you just have to be very transparent about 
what makes this project important to you and then find the team that shares that desire that respects that value so you know we've talked about um you know the hypothetical of you know wanting to cure cancer your 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 mission is to 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 solve this problem that's a value that you can align with your professionals and by by sharing that allows them to understand how to how how they how they can participate in in the solutions you raised another one that is is you know right now you're talking about the big picture goals uh Mm-hmm. You can. You also raised another one earlier about coming to meetings on mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. That is really about how we treat each mm-hmm. other, uh, uh, placing a value on how we treat each other. Another rule like that or a value like that is often one conversation at a time. Because when you get a bunch of people in the room who are passionate they sometimes can talk over one another and it's very difficult to have the same information collected and understood when people are doing mm-hmm. that. So making sure that as an owner, that you set the bar for your project mm-hmm. team and not assuming that they come there with that mm-hmm. bar in place is part of how you can set values and goals I think that some of the stories that you have told before about what are the values of residences that you've worked on, that they need to get into a particular time so that the mm-hmm. kids can experience a life in a particular way as soon as possible. Sustainability. Uh, for the physics building that we talked about a little while ago, it was about being able to do the best possible science, Nobel winning type science within that facility, of course, remaining within budget, but understanding that Mm -hmm. excellence was absolutely a part of what the entire set of goals for the team should be. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a bit of transparency necessary so that people can see these values. It's not so much telling people what the value should be. You need to show them by the actions that you take and by, by being able to show them who you really are. Absolutely. I agree with that. And, and that makes me remember moments in my early career when I was, you know, I had practiced architecture for a couple of decades and I was now walking into the room as an owner and the team was presenting itself to me, the architecture firm, the construction Mm -hmm. firm, other, other consultants, as if they were already cooked in their culture that they had already had the mm-hmm. ways that they worked with one another and you just don't worry about it. We're, we'll take care of it. I immediately had to take up space, mm-hmm. not because I wanted to push back against their culture, but I wanted to make sure that I had the room mm-hmm. to ask questions when I needed to ask questions that I was going to mm-hmm. be able to in the moment that we needed to steer something differently Mm -hmm. that I was going to have the voice to be able to do that. I can imagine owners of residences who have never been through this before get very concerned about how much is happening that they don't understand and not feeling like they could ask questions. (laughs) This is, this is a little too close to home right now. (laughs) (laughs) 
there you go. Uh, let's see how I can put this into words without like identifying projects. But what I was just talking about is how do you establish yourself and make sure that your values and goals and the way you operate is still part of this. Yeah, I'm just thinking. I'm just thinking of of this. God, they they all mer- they all merge together so much. It's it's you know we talk about we talk about these things and then they're separate here, but they they do they do tend to merge together, and it gets back to it's not there's no order here. These need to be all considered at all times during the project um, to set your values and goals early in a project is 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 appropriate it needs to happen but it needs to be reinforced along the project during the project so that people don't go astray because i've seen this happen where an owner states some goals but in the weeds and the details as things are starting to get intense with with other more timely matters those goals are put aside and forgotten about and it's a tragedy. So I, I think that you need to find a, you know, be, have the consistency of showing up and restating those goals and making sure that everybody remains aligned throughout the project. And I think we've talked about this before is goals may change during a project, but when they do, it's very important that everybody understands why they've changed and how they've changed and what that effect, how that affects both the project and the individuals in a, uh, what's the word? Um, it's something better than reasonable, but in a, in a, in a, in a manner that's not um, destructive. Appropriate? Appropriate, could work. Do you know what I mean by that? Mm-hmm. You know, this also makes me remember the times when I was a practicing architect or when I had other bosses that were also involved in, in meetings, it's absolutely necessary that owners recognize the value of the consistency that you were talking about before. Mm-hmm. Because often the first people to forget values and goals are the owners mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. The, uh, the owner's bosses or the board of directors. Mm-hmm. And when you go into a project and you say, okay, I'm going to make sure that everybody is listens to, that we prioritize the scientists' needs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that if you make a mistake and you tell me about it, you're not going to be punished for it. We're going to figure out how, what to do together, those kinds of things. And then the first time that a budget problem occurs or a or the economy changes outside the walls or somebody makes a mistake, you throw that value out the window you lose all credibility as an owner. Mm-hmm. So the number one place to expect and to present values and goals in a consistent manner is the owner. And this mm-hmm. also gives the owner great power. Really does. It does. It does. And, and not only can they, might they, th- you know, forget about their goals as they, as, as they get distracted or, 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 or think about, other aspects of the project. Sometimes I think you said it is they they can contradict their goals. So, so they're asking for something that is in pure contradiction to their original goal. And that can really create a lot of confusion. And it's the owner's responsibility to have a relationship with the team. We're going to talk about this in a minute 
um, that allows them to be challenged when they do start being inconsistent, when they forget about their own mm -hmm. values and their own goals. Mm -hmm. Which brings me to number four, which is really about how powerful it is when an owner is engaged and is consistent. So what we mm -hmm. say is it's an owner's responsibility to build and maintain a team that shares the owner's values and believes in the owner's goals. Yeah. This means that you are aware of the behavior and the decisions and the actions of your various team members and that you're brave enough to say, nah, this isn't going to work. And that's when you coach to success or you coach out the door. Right. Something we've talked right. about before. Right. I was, I was going to pause you and say, let's not move on to number four yet. Cause I had something to say number three, but it, it, it directly, it, it actually works perfectly because it does tie into four because it's, it's about creating consensus and you can do that in a couple different ways. The one is, you know, knowing your values and beliefs as you're developing the project and hiring the right professionals that can deliver on those values and beliefs. They can reinforce and pr bring expertise to take you even further towards achieving those goals and values. Um, you know, for example, I'll go back to it. If you want to do a passive house, you should find an architect that is passionate about passive, passive houses. You shouldn't ask an architect that you think looks, their portfolio is nice and say, can you do a passive house? You really should try to find ex experts that share that value. But then going further is just getting right down and writing out the values and goals, having a workshop with people and saying, this, this is what means a lot to me for this project. I want to make sure that you share these and negotiate those values and goals to some extent so that at least you can come into a unified understanding of what's important on this project. That clarity of understanding what your expectations are of others within the values and goals environment and attitude towards the team is so critical. Mm -hmm. One thing that I was very proud of, um, and this is driven by the board at Rice University at the time. So when they hired architects for projects and they were involved in the hiring of architects, they wanted two very important things along with the ability to do the project in question. The first was that they wanted someone who was going to be completely dedicated to the excellence of the project, who was going to bring world-class skills, attitude, ability, and dedication to the project. The second thing that they wanted is they wanted them to understand that they were going to be working within limits of a team and a budget and a location, you know, a set of needs that means that those needs have to be addressed. The function of the building had to be addressed before their personal aesthetic is dealt with or at the same time. So those two things were incredibly important to make sure that they were getting world-class 
dedication to the project and world-class skills, but to also make sure that they were willing to work within the limits that were provided as part of a team. And that was clear. And that framework for mm-hmm. searching out mm-hmm. the firms, shortlisting, and then visiting mm-hmm. the firms, interviewing the firms, was these were the top of our ability to sort out who is going to be able to work with us or not. Yeah, I was going to I was going to ask you and I might answer it for you, but I'll try is, is how did they make that clear as their their goals and values? And I, and I might suspect that, you know, one, they might have written that down. It might have been in the RFP. It might have been this is what we're looking for. But another way of doing it is the transparency of the, the search and categorizing people in groups. And, you know, oftentimes you'll invite, you know, three or four architects for a proposal. That group of architects helps to def- identify who, what place you're, they're in. What do they see out of their peers? And what do they, what do they share in terms of skill sets and, and, and professional abilities? Sometimes that's a great way to to share your values by, by showing people who they place as peers to others. I'd like to suggest that, and I'm happy to answer the question, but I'm going to suggest that we have an episode dedicated to selection. There's so Mm. much meat here about how owners should select, how they are selecting, Mm -hmm. how they get it wrong. uh, Mm -hmm. And, I think that we could, we could, it would be a gift to our listeners to really dive deep into this. I agree. On, you know, along with number four, we have coupled closely number five, which is fire toxic team members. And I do have a a story about firing somebody as part of my internal organization, but it wasn't because this person was, and by the way, I fire only as a last resort, <laughs> always. Mm. We've talked about that before. But this particular team member was not a toxic person, ostensibly. He was friendly, engaging, um, very nice to have around, very nice to have a conversation with. He loved mm-hmm. to stay in the office. You would find him at his desk at eight o'clock at night. <laughs> um, <laughs> that wasn't exactly our values. Our values were mm. you work hard for nine hours a day and then go home. I mean, look, really work really hard, thoughtfully and carefully mm-hmm. uh, for nine hours a day, but then go home and relax and recharge. But that wasn't even it. The, the problem was that this person just did not understand the value of of outcomes. It was just a process of rolling along and kind of dealing with whatever fire emerged that day, regardless of how much coaching was involved. This person could not make decisions, move the ball, pay on time, no matter how many hours he was in, in the office. So, it's really critical to make sure that you owners broaden their understanding mm-hmm. of what can be toxic 
because this person was one of the most senior people in the organization and his leadership was not helping us succeed. Yeah, it's a tricky it's a tricky situation when you're faced with poor leadership in one of your teams because it it really affects multiple people and multiple relationships. So it's it's something that you have to confront and it and maybe fire is the wrong word. You know, it gets to that point. I mean, fire is the word that gets it gets us to recognize that it's very important. But you need to address these early and hard um, so that they can be resolved. So owners have often don't understand that they have the power to change teams. Right. If needed. And this is what I think is really very important. You know, obviously you don't want to fire people unless it's absolutely necessary. But sometimes it is absolutely necessary. But it is the owner's responsibility to understand when things are going off the tracks, Mm -hmm. help identify why, and then make decisions that allow you to get that train back on the tracks. Right. Right. That's the owner's responsibility. So our last topic is it's kind of right rolls right along from four and five it's strive to make every team member successful every part of the team needs to be successful and you know we roll i I think it's a great continuation from number five where we have to recognize that the team members that aren't working have to be jettisoned but it's out of respect for the ones that are on the team and their success is why you, why you resort to that. So you want to talk a little bit about success? Yeah, I I want to start with, and I think that you've probably seen this as much as I have. I'd like to start with the fact that owners cannot delude themselves by believing that they can win this game and be the only one (laughs) successful. You know, that's where the, that's how adversarial environments grow when Mm -hmm. owners are going, well, I'm going to get the cheapest possible. I'm going to get the best this, and I'm going to undercut the contractor and I'm going to screw the the architect and owners that believe that are completely delusional and stupid. Mm -hmm. Sorry Mm -hmm. guys, for all you that believe that it's a game to win you're going to lose. Your project is going to lose. The only way, the only way to make sure that your project is a winner for you is to make sure your entire team is a winner. I agree. That they all can leave saying, I made a decent amount of money. I am proud of the work that I did. I enjoyed working with this team. I may not want to see them again for six months, but I'll be glad to have a drink with them (laughs) then. (laughs) I was telling you earlier that, you know, it's so hard for owners sometimes to recognize that what they're really doing when they engage in a project is that they wear three different hats. The first hat is, yes, you've got to be the owner. You've got to ask for what you want to say, no, that this isn't acceptable Every project needs a strong owner that can say those things. But next, and every owner has to realize this, they are also a service provider. 
They're paying bills. They're providing foundational information in order to start the project, and they're making decisions. There are other ways that you're a service provider, but getting that mindset that you are doing your job for the team as a service provider, not just as an owner, but as a service provider, is incredibly important. And then finally, you are part of the team. And if you're going to demand that you win and they lose, it's not going to work. You're not going to get the effort you want to make that project successful. If you're willing to put the target on your forehead and have accept responsibility for the success and the failures of the team, you will have a team that'll be working with you and for you and for the success of the project. Yeah. Yeah. And we go back to where we started that these aren't, these aren't skills that people are born with. These are skills that, that need to be studied and trained and practiced. You know, you bring up an example when we talk about number six, about some owners that, that, put winning over, over success, you know, those owners, an owner is always right. Let's just say that, but they need to recognize what that means to be right. So if, if an owner's feeling they need to win something that, that is stressing that they need to work within a budget that is very important to them. That's a value and you can still operate with that value and have successful team members without making them lose. So when you announce that as a strong value or goal, you can find people that can align with that. And you have to understand what that means to get them to align and participate in that. So there's, there's some subtlety to learning these skills. Yeah. Absolutely. While you gave that example, I was thinking about the different styles of different owners and it's perfectly okay for owners to have different mm -hmm. styles. There are owners that really mm -hmm. do not want to be involved in making decisions that are behind the walls. Now, I think that's kind of silly, but there are owners mm -hmm. that, that if it's, if it's wiring or if it's HVAC or whatever, other than the basics, they don't want to become a technical expert. That's okay. There are other questions, mm -hmm. uh, other owners that want to be involved in every decision. Now that can be equally challenging because there are some decisions mm -hmm. that need to be able to flow without the owner's direct involvement, as mm -hmm. long as they're, you're meeting the goals of the framework. So mm -hmm. this style conversation is not nearly as important as understanding that you need to be helping the team be successful. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to run all the way back to number 1 when we're talking about informed decisions because we've kind of gone there a little bit. You were talking about some owners don't want to make decisions behind the walls. At first I thought you were talking about making decisions in secret. But you're talking about the details of, you know, behind the walls like 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 wiring. So I I I caught a, I caught that off guard. But but it made it reminded me of like an owner being explicit about what they're interested in participating in and what can be solved without them. And that's setting good, a good understanding of how, how to approach people with the information they need to make decisions. It's not that they're not interested in, in they're not interested in the aspects of the wiring behind the, the, the 
walls until it hits a situation that might affect their values, until it may affect um, the cost of the project in a detrimental way, um, the use of the project in a way that's not aligned with the, the, the use that they've, they've identified as important. Um, as long as their team is successfully answering those questions in their absence for the owner, it's perfectly fine. So sometimes it's good for an owner to state very clearly, I need to participate in these particular issues. And when these aren't on the forefront, I only need to be reached or, or participate when they get to a point that might conflict with my other values. Agree. So I, I probably very poorly, and this is what I was going to say, poorly expressed my um, example about that as far as different styles. That's fine. But I think that it's, it is important to everyone to understand that different people on different teams can be successful and they can also fail because the team fit isn't the correct team fit. Right. If you're a person that needs to be the owner involved in every single decision, you're not going to work well with an owner that doesn't want to be involved in the engineering details. So, but every single time, as you said, Fred, you need to make sure that whatever you're doing is in line with the owner's values and goals and the team values and goals. And it is the owner's responsibility that those are discussed, written down, and repeated right. in a consistent manner, just as you mentioned earlier in this episode. So Fred, do you think we should start a school so that owners can be trained on how to be better owners? I, I do. I think it, I think a workshop or, or, or some, some, some resource would be helpful for a lot of owners. I know, I know the AIA has guide guidelines for owners, but you know, having some resources is, is a great thing. Yeah. Koa does, does a very nice job at, at pulling people in and trying to inform owners and some of these challenges and environments that owners work in are mm -hmm. very tough. Very tough. But newbies, people who've never done that job before, it'd be great to give them some foundational information and some resources. Yeah. Give them some resources. Yeah. 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 Well, that was good. Go go do your thing, owners. I mean, I think, I think owners are doing really important work. It really takes the vision of an owner to get a project um, to move. You know, once they you know, embrace some of these skills and attitudes... It can be an exciting end. <laughs> That's the word. <laughs> the lost for a word. Satisfying. Satisfying, yeah. Exciting and satisfying experience. With a successful project as an outcome. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us at Curious Teams. This is Barbara White Bryson. And this is Fred Gutierrez. And now you go make the design, construction, and owner environment a better place. Find us at CuriousTeams.com, where we hope you share your comments and ideas 
look forward to upcoming episodes that answer questions that you've sent us on our website. And please subscribe to us on your podcasting platform. It helps us find more people like you. And it never hurts to do a five-star review.